Being a chef means keeping your cool in the kitchen. And with Resi Priority Notify and Global Dining Access through my Amex Platinum card, right this way, it's nice to try someone else's food for a change. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Had enough of those supplements that leave you feeling nothing? Symbiotica is your solution to great-tasting all-natural supplements that actually work. Crafted with premium plant-based ingredients, their products have no seed oils, fillers, or artificial nonsense. It's just pure goodness in every pouch. Try them out and actually feel the difference today. Visit Symbiotica.com and use code IHEART for 15% off plus free shipping on your subscription order. Again, that's 15% off plus free shipping on your subscription order. Go to Symbiotica.com. That's C-Y-M-B-I-O-T-I-K-A.com. You know that feeling when you walk into your home, take a deep breath, and feel new? Well, that's what it's like to use Clorox Sentiva. Because Clorox Sentiva smells like coconut, cleans like Clorox, and feels like energy. It'll elevate any cleaning routine to not just clean, but also make every room smell like a tropical coconut getaway. Discover how Clorox Sentiva's powerful clean and refreshing scents can transform your space. Get yours in coconut or other fabulous scents at a nearby retail store. Welcome back into another episode of the Vertical Podcast with Chris Mannix. Uh, busy week in the NBA. We had the Derrick Rose situation unfold. Uh, DeMarcus Cousins rumors out there. Uh, trade chatter all around. And uh, nobody better to talk about that than Bobby Marks, our front office insider. And I begin by asking Bobby uh, how he thinks the Derrick Rose situation was handled by the Knicks. If I was Phil Jackson, I would have walked into that press conference, even if even if I had limited information and I, and I wasn't sure where he was. Phil's the face of the organization. He needs to be, you know, right there. Later on, we discussed another Knicks player, Carmelo Anthony. And specifically, should the Boston Celtics be kicking the tires on a potential Carmelo Anthony trade? If you had Carmelo on Boston, I mean, could you imagine a lineup where you put him at the four or Crowder at the four and you had Horford at the five and you still have, you know, Thomas or you know, whatever is left go, I think you'd have a dynamic offense from an offensive standpoint. We talk about all that more next on the Vertical Podcast with Chris Mannix. All right, so a lot is going on in the NBA right now, but the biggest story of the week was the Derrick Rose departure from the team. That broke uh, last Monday when Rose uh, abandoned his team, went back to Chicago, had a family issue, but didn't tell the Knicks, didn't tell anybody. Uh, wound up getting fined by the team, has been back in the lineup ever since, and the Knicks are trying to move on from that. To talk about that and a lot of other topics in the NBA, let's bring in Bobby Marks, the uh, front office insider over at The Vertical, uh, longtime executive in the NBA, former assistant general manager uh, with the Brooklyn Nets. All right, Bobby, let's start there. With Derrick Rose, you know, and I, I chose to use the word abandoned because I think that is an abandonment. I, I have no problem with a player having a family issue that he has to tend to, missing a game. I mean, I've, I've said it many times before. Uh, these athletes are not robots. They aren't just, 
here to entertain us and, and have nothing else going on in their lives. When things happen, they have every right to go and deal with it like you or I would. But to, to leave his team the way he did, I thought that was a, a complete abandonment. Uh, what did you make of, of the situation and the Knicks' reaction, which was not to suspend, but to find Derrick Rose? Well, Chris, I'll, I'll take it in, in two parts here. And, you know, I was there Monday night at, at that uh, at that New Orleans game when, when all this unfolded. Um, you're right. The, that is the word abandonment. And uh, I had I had never seen a player, at least when I worked for, for the Nets, and uh, I don't remember a case that really no-showed a game and didn't even call his team to uh, let him know. You know, we've seen guys who have been sick. We've seen players who have family issues. Uh, but at least there's a communication line either with the, the trainer, the general manager, or, or the head coach. And there was plenty of time for Rose to either call Phil Jackson or Steve Mills or Jeff Hornacek or even another player, uh, you know, before the game started. I mean, there there was a, par- a time when he did have to take a car service to the airport, I would think. so. There, and there was a, a lull when you're sitting on uh, on the plane ready for, for that to take off, even if it w- was a private uh, plane. So... Yeah, I, I had never seen that, Chris. I've seen guys um, mispractice and not call, and that's probably because of of a night of uh, out too late. Um, but that that's that's one thing. Practice in a game is, is two different things here. Uh, in regards to the reaction post game, and the more you dissect it, and I, I talked to three teams uh, yesterday about how they would handle a situation like that and in each each of the teams and it was unanimous was that they would not have put their head coach out there in a situation situation like that with the information they had and it would have been the the general manager or the president uh of the team who had had who would have faced the the media and it, it reminded me a lot of chris back uh, a year ago remember we had that jalil okafor situation um, yep the incident in boston and then there was a, a bunch of other stuff that came out and uh, and I and I still believe that was the downfall of Sam Hinkie that uh, you know Brett Brown was basically left to fend um, you know for Okafor in the organization because he was the the spokesman and and I and I reminded me of of, of Monday night but um, if I was Phil Jackson I would have walked into that press conference even if even if I had limited information and and I wasn't sure where he was. Um, you know, he, he's, you know, fills the face of the organization. He needs to be, you know, in situations like that, um, you know, he needs to be, you know, right there. I don't know why he doesn't understand that. Or or maybe it's that he just doesn't care. Because the Knicks enjoyed probably their best relationship with the media. And by extension, you know, with the city and with the fans. When Donnie Walsh was running that team. I mean, Donnie Walsh was the most accountable Knicks executive, I don't want to say ever because I don't go back that far, but at least of this century. I mean, he was constantly on the floor. You could ask him whatever you want about the team or anything else. And because of that, because of that transparency, things, at least the the relationship with, with the media, got so much better. Phil Jackson, the only interviews he's doing are these national media type interviews. He's not sitting down with beat writers, and he's not front and center. I mean, it... Look, people will have tweeted back at me and said, well, what do you expect Phil to say that, that Jeff Hornacek couldn't say? That's not the point. I mean, Phil Jackson is runs this franchise. He's the guy that acquired Derrick Rose. He's the guy that ultimately will make the decision on a fine, on a suspension. He has to be there and take these questions. He may not like, might not like these questions. I don't think any executive would. But his he has a responsibility to be front and center and answer these questions. Am I wrong there, or or what do you, what do you uh, think of that? 
No, you're you're not wrong. And you know, I don't. You know, if you know, I worked for Rod Thorne for uh, ten years, and if it was Rod Thorne, he would have been up there on on Monday night after the game. If it was Billy King or um, you know some of the some of these other executives that I've either worked for Ed, Ed Stefanski, we can put up there, or I have a relationship for, they would have been up there because it wasn't about the basketball game. There was one. There was no questions about you know the Knicks losing by you know, 14 or 15 points that night or why Carmelo got thrown out or Kyle Quinn, but it was about Derek Rose and, and really wanting answers. And if, if Phil had just gone up there and said he hasn't called um, from the information that we have, that he is safe. And when we have more information, we'll, we'll get it out to you. And that was it. And then, you know, I don't think we would be making as much about it. And the Rose situation would, you know, it would probably still linger a little bit, but um, it would be, uh, you know, somewhat closed here. And, and Chris, I've talked to a lot of teams and it's not just the media that he's not, you know, out, out in the public with, you know, he's not an easy man to get in touch with. You know, if you, if you're going to try to make a trade proposal with the Knicks, uh, you're not going to Phil Jackson, you're, you're going to Steve Mills. And, um, you know, that's how it's been for, uh, you know, the teams in, in, in the, in the trade process where normally you would call the president or the, you know, the, you know, the, the GM, and I know Steve's the GM there, but you know, if, if, if I'm Archie Buford or if I'm, uh, Sam Presti, I, I want to talk to Phil Jackson. If I, if I'm going to make a, a proposal and I'm not saying th- those two, those are the two teams that I've been in contact with them. But I want to talk to Phil Jackson because I want to make sure that the information that I, you know, want to get at, get out there gets to the, the right person. So, what do you make of the decision to find Derrick Rose and not suspend him? Because I was convinced it would, he would get at least one game. I mean, it, it's it's understandable if there was a significant family issue, and it's not my place to to delve into what that issue is and and try to interpret how it affects Derrick Rose. But to brazenly ignore the team and to skip a game. Is that not the a, an example of conduct detrimental to the team? Is that not a, a perfect example of what should at least generate a one-game suspension? Well, it's exhibit A as far as what's, if you if you determine what in the collective bargaining agreement, what is conduct detrimental to the team is when a player doesn't show up for a game and doesn't let anyone, anyone know here. And, you know, he got uh, a, a, a fine a, uh, equal to one game's pay, which is right around 200000 Chris, these guys make so much money. I mean, they've made a lot of money in their career. And I, I know it, it hurts a little bit, but if you suspend a player or if you take a player away, a player minutes or a role in the, in the, the rotation, that Im- impacts uh, one more than a, a monetary fine. And, I mean, I guess what, if you're New York, the argument is, well, there, you know, the one game was the game he missed, which is not not right. And I would have suspended him for that Philadelphia game on mm-hmm. uh, Wednesday because wh- how do you know this is not going to, you know, happen again? Uh, how do you know if you want to commit to him long term as a free agent, this won't, uh, you know, occur again? I mean, do you can you trust the player? Uh, that that's that would be my concern if I was in uh, a management position from New York. Yeah, to me, this sets kind of the standard for finable and suspendable offenses in New York. If I'm a player on the team and and I have an outburst at a coach or I wind up missing a practice, I, I know I can't get suspended, or at least I shouldn't be, because it's not worse than skipping a game and not telling the team. I mean, he skipped one of 82, and not only did he skip one of 82, he skipped a game that the Knicks badly needed to win, Bobby. You were there for that game. There was a sense of desperation within that team. There still is 
a sense of desperation uh, within this team. They've got to start putting some wins together. And to go up against New Orleans at home, a team that's struggling, not playing good basketball, can't uh, score on anybody uh, at this point. And to play the way they did, uh, obviously Derek's absence affected them on the court, but the uncertainty of where he is or where he was, several Knicks players have come out and said that was something we were thinking about during introductions and it was on our mind during the game. His absence, not only not being there, played a role um, in 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 how in, in losing the game, but it, not knowing where he was or what was going on, that played a role in him losing the game. So you have now set a standard. You're saying that that does not warrant a suspension. So any other player does anything that's you know deemed less than that shouldn't get a suspension either. And that's where the collective bargaining agreement allows teams at their discretion. It's it's not like the. Uh, a player is suspended for an on-court incident. You know, it's basically up to the team as far as what discipline they want to I- I- impose. And and when you looked at the Knicks schedule uh, last, you know, starting last Monday, I thought they ha- they would have to run the table that week to really get themselves, uh, you know, back in the mix. And I'm not saying back in the mix, you know, that as the eight seed, but you know, kind of get back in the in the middle of the pack that, you know, that four or five, six range at least. And then you, you lose to New Orleans, you lose at Philly. You're lucky you get Chicago, a depleted Bulls team with, with no Butler, and you're able to, to win that game. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, you know, it, there was, a, I thought there was a, a sense of desperation be, be, before that game, especially against a, a, a New Orleans team that has, has somewhat struggled. We, we talked about them from an, from an offensive standpoint, and then you let that team come out and score 110 points. Yeah, it's bad, and I, I honestly don't know that this story is over either. Um, uh, I'm not entirely convinced that this was just a personal thing. Um, you know, Derek obviously has had his issues uh, with Jeff Hornacek benched uh, in the fourth quarter of the Milwaukee game for Ron Baker. If, if that continues, and and look, Jeff Hornacek's trying to win games here. Ron Baker is going to be a ball mover and a better defender. He's got to play Ron Baker in uh, in the fourth quarter of some games. I wouldn't be surprised if this if something more came of this. Uh, down the line, but but let's look at at the the Knicks before the trade deadline. You talk, you mentioned that you know executives out there don't know exactly who to who to call, or at least they're not able to get a hold of Phil Jackson uh, with uh, with trade possibilities. Uh, Carmelo Anthony here now he's got the no trade clause, and he said publicly he wants to stay in New York. But if you're running the Knicks, how uh, do you sit down with Carmelo? Do you try to have a frank discussion with him? Because you know, best case scenario, at least to me, the Knicks make the playoffs. And then Cleveland wipes them out in the first round. Worst case scenario is they slip to 11th or 12th or 10th or 11th or whatever it is in the Eastern Conference and, and, and they become kind of a laughing stock over the second half of the year. What do you do if you're Phil Jackson and Steve Mills in terms of communicating with Carmelo Anthony? Well, I would, I would want to sit down and at least at the all, you know, at the all-star break. And that's going to be before the, the trade deadline. And we'll, we'll see where this Nick team is. He's owed, uh, you know, the rest of this year, he's got two more years after this with a with a player option for that second year. It's a, it's a high number, though, Chris. And and when you look at his number, then you also attach a you know a ten million dollar trade bonus that will get spread out over the, over the next couple of years. So, it's the no trade clause. It's the the trade bonus. Um, you know, can a team take him in at a twenty nine thirty million dollar uh, you know player? That's literally a twenty five percent of of your of your cap right there. And uh, he is still an effective offensive player, but I don't think he is a uh, your number one uh, your number one guy. He would certainly be a nice core piece or complementary piece on some of these really good teams. But um, 
you know, the, if you look at teams who are going to have cap space th- this summer, it's all rebuilding teams. I mean, that, that's how it is. All the good teams have either used their money or they have their own key free agents, you know, come up uh, th- this upcoming summer. So if he ever did get to a point and said, I will wave, wave my no trade for Boston or the Clippers or Cleveland, I, I just don't know. You know, I don't see a, a right a, the right match from uh, a- any of these teams here. Yeah, I mean, I was going to bring that up because th- there's no obvious uh, trading partner out there. There's no, you know, Chicago, what they were a couple of years ago when they were uh, kind of relentless in their pursuit. Houston, I, I would imagine, not uh, a great option, especially with Mike D'Antoni there uh, right now. The Clippers aren't going to trade one of their core players for for Carmelo Anthony at this point. Boston is, is at least a little bit intriguing um, because I can envision Brad Stevens doing some interesting things with Carmelo in the lineup. And, and if you're looking at, at what the Celtics need to to advance, at least in the Eastern Conference, it would be um, a, a wing score. Uh, you know, the whole Gordon Hayward stuff came up, uh, you know, last month, and, and people kept connecting it to race. But but the reality is, Boston needs a Gordon Hayward type of score. They need a twenty point per game guy on the perimeter. It's as simple as that. They they have been relying on Isaiah Thomas. We're going to get to him in a second, but you know, they need a second option to succeed in the postseason. And I'm not sure that Al Horford is that reliable fourth quarter scoring option that they can go to. So if I'm the Celtics, I would kick the tires on that. I, I would uh, I would ask uh, the Knicks what the price would be. I wouldn't give up anything super significant. And when I say that, I wouldn't give up one of the Brooklyn draft picks. Uh, I'd be willing to break up my log jam in the backcourt with Avery Bradley and Marcus Smart. Um, you know, I put Jay Crowder obviously in play because uh, they, there's there's obviously Carmelo would sort of take his slot for the in the coming years, but uh, I, I would I would explore that if I were the Celtics. How, how would you see Carmelo fitting in on that team? Well, it, I I think when you look at, uh, at Boston and some of the other teams, it's almost like you need another go around of the summer of where money went last year for some of these some some of these teams that have some some high salaries. And in, in Boston's case, you, you know you've got. Uh, the Zeller, Amir Johnson, some of those higher, you know, number, you know, from a salary standpoint. But if if you had Carmelo on Boston, I mean, could you imagine a lineup where you put, um, you know, him at the four or Crowder at the four, and you had Horford at the five, and you and you've got, you know, you still have, you know, Thomas or, you know, whatever is left go. I think you'd have a you'd have a dynamic offense from an offensive standpoint. Would not help, you know, what you've seen especially in that Toronto game this past week, as far as from a little bit of a deficiency from a, from a rebounding standpoint, but that would be their, their key free agent that, you know, basically when they have cap space this summer, that, that would have been their, their addition. So it's, it's a matter of, you know, what, you know, what you want to, you know, give up, Chris, I was, you know, in, when I was in New Jersey, I sat through six months of, you know, Carmel Anthony, as far as us going out, trying to get him, I had a, um, a binder that started with three pages that probably ended with 200 pages of different trade scenarios. And, and when I look back on the, those, you know, scenarios, then compared to now, I, I don't see the New York, if, if they did put him on the market, getting that right value back. I mean, back then it was at least two picks were, you know, in, in our case, you know, three picks, a, a, a core player, um, or, or a young player and some some fillers, and I and I don't I don't see that market for him right now. No, I don't I don't see it either. And, and like I said, you've got to be uh, real careful with what you give up to get a player like that. You don't gut your roster uh, for a guy mid thirties um, who's who's clearly kind of sliding a little bit this year. But I would explore it if I were the Celtics because 
you, know, you put a Carmelo next to Isaiah, and, and, and you're going to score late in games. I mean, you know, over the weekend, Isaiah Thomas continues to, you know, to me, Bobby, not only make his case to be an all-star, an all-star starter, but I think he's worked his way into the conversation uh, for MVP. I, I don't think he's a favorite by any stretch or the front runner. He might not even be in the top five, but if we're going to have a top 10 discussion about MVP, it, it, he's got to be in it. I mean, his numbers over the last month are comparable to the numbers that Steph Curry put up during his MVP season. Now, it's a smaller sample size, obviously, but he's scoring in the fourth quarter. He's doing it when everybody in the gym knows that he's getting the ball late in game, so it's not like there's an element of surprise there. Um, he, he's been fantastic. I mean, what have you seen from Isaiah uh, over the last few weeks? He is the closer. <laughs> I mean, I think that's what his nickname should be as far as his ability to uh, to, to close out games. And, you know, I just look at him from where he was in, in Sacramento and, and where he was now. I don't even know if we put that, I guess, that half year in, in Phoenix and in, into the equation. But, um, you know, his third year in the league, Chris, he averaged the uh, same minutes as right now, 34 and 20 points a game. Now he's plus eight same minutes. So he has certainly gotten better. He's more efficient, you know, his, his field goal percent is at, you know, right around 46, right? Last year was 42, um, you know, from the line assist. Um, there's a lot of good things and players want to play with him because you know, every night he's going to come out win or lose, you know, that you are going to get the, you know, the maximum effort. I'm not, I'm not putting him into the equation of a, you know, an Allen Iverson type player, but, um, you know, because I, I, I know Iverson was from a speed standpoint was quicker, but, um, you know, from a durability standpoint, I mean, he played 82 games last year. He didn't miss a game, you know, and um, he's going to play, you know, close to that uh, this this upcoming year. So, um, you know, he's certainly an all star. He'll probably make all NBA uh, which is it was a hard feat to uh, come by, and I and yeah, I think we should put him and start putting him in the uh, um, th- that that equation with the likes of Jimmy Butler and Harden and Westbrook. You know, LeBron is always there. I think the guys in in um, uh, Golden State will will probably split some of these vote, mm-hmm. uh, votes with uh, you know, with Curry, Durant. But this is as deep as a field as I've seen, where there really is no clear cut, you know, MVP candidate. No, no, I, no, I, you know, I mean, Harden to me is is probably the front runner right now, just because of the Rockets' record. Uh, but it's it's a fluid uh, a race at the moment. I mean, the whole it's up for grabs in the uh, second half of the season. You're listening to the Vertical Podcast with Chris Mannix. If you're enjoying this program, then check out the MMQB podcast with Peter King. What's the one thing that you take away from Bill Belichick and you say, this is the thing that everybody else is missing? Everything is about supplying information to Bill so he can make the decisions. And Bill has the front office and the coaching staff all on the same page. That's the biggest difference. And there's never a day off with Bill Belichick. Listen and subscribe to new episodes every Wednesday of the MMQB podcast with Peter King. All right, let's move out to the Western Conference for a minute. And there was a report this week, um, something we've talked about uh, in the past uh, over at the Vertical, that, that DeMarcus Cousins, if um, he's handed a offer for a $200 million extension from the Sacramento Kings, that he's going to accept it. Now, that's that's not all that surprising. Um, you know, he's, you know, turned down $200 million offers. It's also not all that surprising the suggestion that the Kings would offer that because Vivek Ranadive, from what I'm told very recently, remains 
enamored with DeMarcus Cousins as his uh, franchise player. I mean, is that is is giving DeMarcus Cousins that type of offer? Is that the right move for Sacramento? Well, it's the, it's the cards you've been dealt, and you have uh, if if you don't, and if you let's say if you uh, want to go in a di- different direction, do you have the ability to to attract an All Star and an All NBA player? You know, what, you know. Let's take the you know some of the other antics off the court. And I, and I don't think you, you do. Um, it, it, it'll be interesting with Sacramento. Um, if they do do the extension this summer, you know, won't kick into the summer of 18. Um, can they get into the playoffs this year and use that as a kind of a re, uh, recruiting tool for uh free agency? Because they, they possibly could have 40 to $50 million based on what you do for your roster. So this is kind of your really last year to, with this, this cousin's extension uh, looming, but that was the the goal of the CBA was to incentivize players to re- remain with their team if they if they hit certain achievements and you'll be paid at at a a larger uh, salary amount. Um, so I, I understand it from from both sides. I you know from a, a management side and you hadn't been to the playoffs and you're thinking, well, can you win with this guy? Um, you know, for the next four or five years at, a, at making forty million dollars and can we get better players around here? And then from an ownership standpoint, he's your best player. Uh, he's, you know, your clear cut best player and he's a, probably a top 10 NBA player. And if I don't pay him, um, you know, then, you know, who am I going to re- replace him with? There's not like there's an influx of, of young kids waiting to, you know, you know, come up the ladder here. Yeah. Then to be clear on the report, it was that the Kings plan to offer uh, that type of extension and, and listening to DeMarcus's public comments, you you are led to believe that he'd be very receptive uh, to accepting that deal. I, I think it's a big mistake. I do. Um, I, I think you. I think the 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 faction within the Sacramento organization that wants to trade him uh, has to be more proactive, and they have to have their voice heard because that faction is is growing and it's it's loud and it reaches the higher levels of uh, of of the Kings front office. I mean, I think there are plenty of people in that organization that realize that. You know, he's got a decent trade value right now. Can you imagine? I mean, what what would that trade value be, Bobby, if he's making $35, $40 million per year? I mean, he's he's intriguing because of his talent, but teams that I talk to are uh, not equally as intrigued, but uh, that intrigue is amplified by a manageable contract. If he all of a sudden is owed, you know, is getting $35 million per year for five or six years, how... (laughs) I mean, how attractive is that? I wouldn't touch him for that type of money if his, unless his his behavior improves and, and and the team around him improves. Well, Chris, and it goes back to our the discussion we started with and, and with Carmel Anthony, and not not because of him being untouchable for some of his, for Carmel some of his antics, but for more from a salary standpoint and how that high that number is and how hard it is to move it. And that's going to be, a, if you look at this new CBA, that a little bit of the downfall when you reward players with this designated player veteran extension where their salaries are going to be so high. And if it is a piece, you know, the goal is that you want that player to be here for the long term because he is a franchise level player. So now you have a player like Cousins who is, um, you know, an all NBA player, but can he be a franchise level player and, and kind of put these guys on his back and, and lead him to the playoffs and, and, and do some good things and, and, and uh, attract free agents here? And if if you do do the extension and you realize, you know what, I don't think he is, you know, part of the future. Now you're looking at 
when you look at teams' rosters, you know, a lot of the, the teams that do have these, you know, designated player veteran, they, they're going to keep them. You know, they're going to keep the, the Steph Curry's of the world or the Jimmy Butler's or the, the Kawhi Leonard down, down the road. And then you're going to see a, high, a huge number in drop off. Then you're going to look at guys who make 15 to 20 million. So that, that, will, that would be the challenge if down the road you, you, you sign them to the extension and then you want to move him. That, that that's a lot of money for a team to to swallow, and it, and it will certainly impact their roster. Yeah, and, and guys, you know, free agents don't want to play there right now. I mean, they've been used as leverage from multiple free agents over the last few summers. I mean, Wesley Matthews is a name that that jumps to mind. Signed with Dallas, and you know, played that game with Sacramento because that that's an offer, a competing offer that they can use. There's a handful of guys that have done that. Uh, over the years, I don't, I, I, I don't know that tying is such a big number of on your cap to a player that's so volatile is, is the right thing to do. But we'll see. I know we got there's plenty of time to between now and then for for uh, different things to happen. All right, I, I want to talk too about uh, the Cleveland Cavaliers and some news that came out of Cleveland this week, which is the Cavs need really need more practice. And <laughs> I, I don't know that I've ever heard a team. Uh, uh, at least not a team on Cleveland's level with the the kind of uh, chemistry and the continuity that they have with that roster uh, suggest that. What did you make of the the Cavs and and LeBron and Kevin Love talking about how this team needs more practice time? Uh, I think it's just the the grind of the season, and you know it, it's. Wouldn't they want days off then? Like, can we get a day <laughs> off? Like, uh, how about that? <laughs> you know, you just. I think they're a little cranky right now. I think that's where we're at. I think they had that. I think that Portland trip might have did them in as far as getting in late and you know have to play. And I saw Ty Lue complaining. And why did we? Even, why are we even playing at state of emergency? So I think you're. Uh, you know, I think when maybe when they were asked a question, they were uh, a little bit a uh, little bit a uh, lack of sleep and a little bit cranky here. And then you you turn around and you have a good win in uh, you know in Sacramento on. Uh, Friday night where you you've dom- you dominated the, the the whole game and now you you know Corver finally you know uh you know it was the Corver that we saw in Atlanta and had a had a good game there and I, I you know I I get it it's you know it's Chris it's a long year you know you cover it you're in city to city and it mm-hmm. takes a toll on your body it's not it's not like you're um you know an NFL you know 16 or 17 game you know or you know weeks uh, season or even MLB and you're in cities for a week or whatever and you're constantly traveling and you're yeah your your practice time is is limited limited you know you're not going to practice on a second night of a uh, of a of a back to back and um then you've got some you've you're nicked up with some injuries and I, I I know that they you know from what LeBron has preached that he's looking for another point guard and if you probably talk to Dave David Griffin he needs a playmaker and you know meanwhile they're you know 31 and 9 and have the best record in in the east and are a, a likely shooing to get back to the uh to the NBA finals for, um, for, for a third year in a row. And you, you can't have too many toys. I, I always said that, that what you have is you've got to find that, that, that right balance there. Yeah. And, and that's the, the second, uh, peculiar comment in the last few weeks coming out of Cleveland. The first was LeBron, uh, is pretty public declaration that the team needs, uh, another point guard. I mean, is that, is that that big an issue for the Cavs right now? Somebody to back up, uh, Kyrie Irving. I know Della Vadova was, was critical in a variety of different ways, and 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 Mo Williams retiring hurt them, and Kay Felder hasn't really worked out there. But I mean, how much of a sense of urgency should Cleveland have before the deadline to go out and get some kind of uh, usable backup? Well, I think for the regular season, uh, I think it would help from a uh, certainly from a depth standpoint, and 
when some of these players are not playing on a back to back and you need to rest, um, you know, from a, from a longevity standpoint that it would, uh, it would help when we get to the playoffs. I, I don't see if they go out and get a backup point guard, how much of an impact. Cause you remember, you have to look at how they play. And, and most of the time the ball's in LeBron's hands at the end of games. And, you know, we saw last year with Mo Williams and Del Vidova kind of, I guess, shared that backup role uh, during, during the playoffs. So, I think if it's, you know, if it's a Mario Chalmers or a Jarrett Jack or one of these veterans, yeah, I mean, I think it's good to have because it, it gives, you know, Kyrie Irving a, a blow and you can kind of start to stagger, you know, some of these minutes and, you know, to, to go out and find a, a playmaker with what Griff had, uh, you know, reported to say, uh, I think it was in ESPN is, I don't know what your assets are now. You, you don't have any more picks really yeah. left until 2021 and, and you've got your top heavy with your core guys with LeBron and, and Kyrie Irving and Kevin Love and J.R. Smith's hurt and, and Shumper and and then you know basically your other you know movable pieces is Channing Fry. So I and I don't think it you know a, a Channing Fry gets you a guy that can make it that big of an impact. So I, I just don't see you know I mean and but uh, you know you never know. Griff's been able to pull a couple rabbits out of the hat the last two years with Corver and Fry and move Varjo and and uh, you know improve, improve the roster. So. Um, you know, it'll be uh, it'll be it'll be interesting to watch here. Yeah, I think the Cavs' best chance of upgrading that spot is to hope that somebody comes out in the buyout market. I mean, I think that's that's where they're likely to find the best value. I mean, there are some some pretty high profile names that could wind up bought out before March first. I mean, we talked about Derrick Rose, and, and and while I would say it's unlikely he gets bought out, I don't think we'd rule it out um, if it continues to deteriorate there. If if you know Ron Baker gets more minutes, if the team falls out of playoff contention. Uh, I could see that happening. And the other guy is Rajon Rondo. Um, you know, Rondo uh, is still kind of in and out of the rotation in Chicago right now. But uh, it's clear at this point that the Bulls don't see him as as part of their uh, long-term future. And, and if they are getting enough out of the Michael Carter-Williams, um, was it Jerry and Grant combination at the point guard spot, then you know, maybe they'd feel like Rondo's not worth the, you know, the kind of hassle or aggravation if, if he does turn out to be that. Of having around, I mean, either one of those guys would be, I mean, ideal if you're the Cavaliers. You know what, Chris? You know what a good name would be, and I don't know if he would ever do it. Would be Darren Williams. Yep. To ask for a buyout, he's in his last year of his uh, deal at nine million. Um, The likelihood of him returning to Dallas is is probably low because they'll have a a a top six pick and they'll probably draft a guard and they'll have cap space to go out and, and fill their roster. Uh, I know he's got his roots there, but you're looking at for the last, you know, if it's a March one, you're looking at three months and Ken Darren, if, if you ever go that route, can you get him back on the map here? Because he has certainly fallen off. And I think that's where his role will be um, moving forward is in, is in, in a, you know, a high quality backup type player and not in a starter role. So if I, if I was a Darren Williams and um, I'm headed to the lottery in a, in a Dallas team, and if I want a chance to win a championship or, or play in the playoffs and go far, that would be so, certainly something I would want to look into. Man, I mean, you bring up Darren Williams and it made me think of I, I mean, who, if we, three years ago, what would we have said if we said that guys like Rajon Rondo, who's what, uh, 30 years old, uh, Derek Rose, who's 28 and, uh, Darren Williams, who's 32, that these guys would be, uh, you know, afterthoughts and, and potentially on the buyout market, um, you know, as as options for a team desperate for a backup point guard. It's incredible. These were the 
These were the elite at one point. Maybe Williams, you have to go back a little bit further to declare him elite, but it's, you know, three years, four years for Derrick Rose, but when he, before he got, uh, his body started getting ravaged in Boston, before he got his knee torn up, Rajon Rondo was one of the best point guards in the game. I mean, these are guys, Bobby, that should be in their primes. I mean, this is 28 to 32 of your prime years as a basketball player. It's, it's, it's kind of amazing that we're talking about, you know, <laughs> these once elite point guards as potential backup options for the Cavaliers. Well, and when we made the trade for for Williams in uh, in 2011, you could probably make the argument that um, you know him and Chris, well him and Chris Paul were one and two, and you could probably make the argument that Darren was probably a little bit ahead of him at that time. And and now we st- we see Chris Paul still kind of at that franchise level player, and now yep. we're talking about Darren Williams, who you know uh, the, one of the most rare cases. I guess you can kind of put him up with Josh Smith, where you see a player who who's set to earn you know. At, what 40 million plus left on his deal gets stretched, um, you know, from, from Brooklyn, um, a year ago, or I guess, uh, you know, uh, two summers ago. And now we're talking about him as a buyout guy and, and a guy who is on a one-year contract like Rondo. I mean, Rondo technically is on a one-year, um, on a one-year deal with, uh, with, with Chicago here. Yeah. That's amazing. Now, now you mentioned Chris Paul and I wanted to ask you about the Clippers who continue to kind of putter along, uh, they'll be a top three seed in the Western Conference, and you know they'll they'll get at least to that second round. But are they a team that that has to do something before the deadline? And if if so, I mean, what do they do? I mean, they don't really have a lot of, I would say, attractive assets outside of their core four. They don't, and you know that's that is the key. Their picks are out, um, so you're not going to use those as an asset. Um, it has not been a good place for young kids to go to develop, to, to develop, um, you know, when they have, uh, you know, drafted players. So you don't have a, um, you know, some guys, you know, in the, in the stable that you can possibly move, you know, is the Pierce contract a movable? Yeah. Because, you know, he's going to retire next year. So it's basically an expiring, but he's only at three, five. I mean, is, is Reddick an appeal because how do, can you afford him? Um, you know, when you get into, um, into free agency and i and i don't know if you can chris i know that it's a wealthy owner there but when when you look at them i mean can you afford a team that's going to have 150 million dollar payroll and 100 million dollars in tax i mean that's where you're looking at the clippers you know go this summer if they keep this team intact then it will probably be a team that loses in in the second round and it's another one of those teams where you have three guys making 20 million plus and then after that you know you've got the jamal crawfords and the austin rivers you know guys who are you know key reserves you know west johnson at five eight uh bamute at two i mean they're all small numbers so to go out and 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 get an impact in the you know and they might be one of those teams you know a, a team to watch come march first as far as from a from a potential um you know buyout standpoint but they've got to get blake back i think that's going to be uh you know key and we it's almost like we talked about it last year it's like we got to get blake back <laughs> you know it was the mm-hmm. same situation different different um you know elements here but you know can you know get him back get him healthy get to mid-April, you know, at one piece with this team and, and, and see what happens when when you get to the playoffs. Yeah, I don't think the Clippers do anything significant at the trade deadline. I think you're right. I, I think they're among the players at the buyout deadline for, for you know, useful players that get let go because they, they've got to go all in this year, don't they? I mean, they've got to at least, this is you know, this summer, if, if they wind up flaming out in the second round, Doc Rivers, his staff, Lawrence Frank, they're going to have some tough decisions to make. They're, they're going to have to decide how much do you pay J.J. Redick. They're going to have to decide if this core is worth keeping together for another run or if do they have to kind of retool it, tear it down, whatever phrase uh, you want to use. But for this year, 
they've just got to go all in. They've got to maybe cross their fingers that something happens with Golden State and hope that you know that that lightning in the bottle that they've been hoping to catch with all their guys healthy that that actually pays off. That all, that this team morphs into that dominant playoff team that that Rivers and and, and some of the players think they can be, um, you know, if they're fully healthy. Well, and that when we we talked in October when we said who has the most pressure, and it's you know it's certainly the Clippers are are up there just based on you know you've got two guys based your two your, I guess your franchise players are in their technically in their, their last year, so you've built a team. You know, if if you weren't all in, then you would have let Jamal Crawford go or Austin Rivers go, and you wouldn't be a luxury tax team uh, this year, and you would hit the hit the reboot a little bit, and you'd look look to move a, a Blake Griffin. Um, you know, in, in that direction, but, um, you look at Paul, you know, he'll, his number's 36 million, Blake Griffin's 31 million. I mean, that's, you know, 67 million with those two guys just for next year. And you had DeAndre and that's another 22. So the, the numbers are going to get up there. And I think if you're, if this team was in the East, could they be in the Eastern conference finals battling, uh, Cleveland every year? Yeah, they, they, they could. And, and but out west, I don't know how they are going to get past the Golden States of the world. San Antonio is still strong. Houston, we've we've seen to to get over that hump. Yeah, I, I don't know either. Uh, but this is going to be kind of their last stand, uh, I think. I, I, you mentioned pressure. I want to finish with this. And you know, I, I've been watching a lot of Detroit lately, and and, and they just seem to be in, in a complete mess right now. They've fallen outside. Uh, the playoff bracket, not too far outside because the Eastern Conference, you can climb your way back in with a, a good week um, in, in in the bottom half of that bracket. But, I mean, how much pressure is, is Stan Van Gundy feeling right now? He's the coach. He's, he's the executive. And, and this team, which which looked like, I mean, uh, I was among the people that thought they would make a run at a 4-5 seed in the East after the way they finished last year. They were young. They were talented. They acquired Tobias Harris uh, midseason. What's happened with the Pistons this year? And And, you know, what does Stan Van Gundy do about it? Well, a couple things here, and and it's funny, Chris, is that you had the Reggie Jackson injury, but when he came back, you were five hundred. So yep. it wasn't like you were uh, three and twelve, and you're trying to make up ground. So, and I and I like their additions in the off season with the Ishmis and the John Lure. I thought they could be complimentary pieces. I, I look at Andre Drummond, Chris. I don't know if he has um, embraced the franchise level role that comes with that salary as far as a guy to you know get on my back and and he's still young and and is it just the growing pains of of doing so i watched him last night against uh or friday night against um uh in utah and you know just you know you know get their doors blown off in the in in the second half here and um, it's an, it's a, it's a weird mix. You, we thought that maybe Stanley Johnson would be ready to take that next step and, and, he, and he hasn't. Um, but here's another team who did all their, their spending, um, in July, got $96 million in guaranteed contracts for, for next, uh, upcoming summer. And then you've got Contavious Caldwell Pope as a, fr- a restricted free agent. So how much you want, how much do you want to spend for a 500 team? Do you want to spend $120 million? So they're going to have a lot of decisions internally. You know, could a guy like Caldwell Pelt, you know, post possibly be on the uh, open market when we get to mid mid February? Especially if you if you don't know if you can, you know, you can resign him. You know, he's got this, he's got Rich Paul as an agent. You know, we've seen mm-hmm. Rich draw a hard line in prior, um, you know, prior summers in, during free agency. Tristan Thompson, uh, Eric Bledsoe, to name a few few players there. Um, so, I. 
you know, I, I thought that getting into the playoffs last year, even if to, to lose to Cleveland in the first round was the best thing that could happen because it gave them that, that experience. And, and now we've, we've taken a step back here. Is there, I mean, are, you mentioned Caldwell Pope on the market. Are they, are they a team to watch at the deadline in terms of, of making something significant in ter- like either to, to bolster their lineup or to, to tear it down? I mean, we know Atlanta is out there. The Paul Millsop's off the market stuff. Nobody really believes that. He's off the market until he's back on. Um, is is how it kind of goes. But who's the team out there that you're keeping your eye on as we kind of approach the one month until the trade deadline, Mark? It's all those teams that are in that, you know, that that seven, eight, and then kind of just on the uh, on the outside, the uh, the New Orleans of the world. We can talk about Detroit. Um, uh, um, I don't think Portland just because if of you're, how you're that- Portland, would you entertain the idea of trading McCollum? Chris, almost impossible to trade unless you're going to move him to Philly because he's got that poison pill provision in his contract based on his uh, on his rookie extension. Because okay. you're not going to get true, you know, the value. It's not really, you know, it, uh, you know, it's it's a formula where what you take back, it's got, you know, it's the average of the of the contract and what you're trading out is, you know, a smaller number. So, you know, teams that have cap space could take him, but then you're going to have to really like, you know. Uh, you know, get back picks. It's, you can't, it can't really do with, with salary because it won't match up. So I, I don't, I, I think that would be really hard to move any of those guys who signed uh, ex- extensions here, but you know, teams like Denver, Denver's got a lot of assets. They've got a lot, and they've got a lot of players coming back on, um, you know, or who will be back next year. A lot of young players. Um, how important is it to them to take that next step in the next, um, next three months, new Orleans, um, we've talked about them at length. Would they trade a first round pick just to get in? Um, you know, I could certainly see that happening. Um, you know, Washington, another team. Um, so yeah, it will be interesting. Those, those teams that are kind of just hanging on for a playoff spot, right. And and the team's right behind them. Yeah. I, I'm to follow up on, on the blazers. I, I wouldn't deal McCollum even if he didn't have that, that poison pill. I mean, I, you build around a young backcourt like that. You don't, and, and they're under contract long-term, him and Damian Lillard. You add to that. I know some of the contracts on the books are exorbitant and, and they're going to have to do some creative uh, bookmaking to to make signings in the future. But uh, when you have what is, in my opinion, the second best backcourt in the NBA, you don't break that up. You you keep well, it together. No, and, and what when you look at it is if you ever did move a, a CJ McComb, do you have faith that you can go out and free agency and get a player that can kind of duplicate that? Unless you're he's getting better picks. by the year. Yeah, he is. I mean, he uh he is almost getting up to that, you know, I mean, as good as Lillard is, but they're you know, it was almost like one and, and two and now it's like one A and one B with, with both players and um, you know, and especially when, when Damien was out with, with his injury that he um, you know, how he was, you know, played at a, you know, elite, elite level. So no, I, I wouldn't do anything, especially when you have a young player under contract for the next, you know, four plus years and, and to get rid of them because your team is not playing as well and that you feel like you need to get assets. You remember they got two first round picks this year. They've got mm-hmm. their own and they've got that, uh, that Cleveland pick now. So that's something that you can possibly dangle when we get to the, to the trade deadline. And when we get, you know, you know, possibly after the season, I think there's a reality that, a lot of fan bases have to kind of accept, which is that your team is not going to compete for anything until 2019, 20 at the earliest. Just not. I mean, there's this, this league is going to be controlled by Cleveland and by golden state on the outside, maybe Toronto or, uh, or the Clippers slash Spurs until then, until you get to 2019, um, you know, it's, 
you're just not going to compete. Now, and, and teams should build their their rosters accordingly. You know, build around young talent and and be ready to jump in there, like a Milwaukee might be, like a Boston might be, like a Utah might be, to step into that void once Golden State and Cleveland kind of you know come back to the pack. Realistic expectations. That's the word, yep. and that's how you have to look at things. Where the league is right now with uh, out west, and where it is in the east with Cleveland and in Golden State. And I think as long as you have a plan in place and you follow that plan and you don't deviate it and, and it's okay to, you know, if, if you're talking to your season ticket holders or your marketing people, or uh, you're doing a town hall, you know, you don't have to give out all the information, but it's okay to lay out what your plan is and how you're going to, and how, how you're going to build the, the, uh, the team, because then, then those people who buy tickets who or buy sponsors feel like they're part of the process with you right there. And um, I think when teams don't do that, um, then that's where people kind of get frustrated. Um, but yeah, I mean, if you're a team like Boston, even though where they are, you know, the, the three seed right now in, in the East, they've got a plan in place. And I know Danny would love to move some of those picks if he can get a all-star level player, but there's no all-star level players out there for right now to get. Well, Bobby, this podcast has exceeded my expectations, um, <laughs> as it always does uh, with you. Uh, thanks for taking some time to uh, jump on here, and we will see you uh, on thevertical.com with the two-man game videos that we'll be taping uh, later on this week. Thanks, Chris. All right, that's it for this week. My thanks to Bobby Marks for joining the show. A reminder, you can check out all my archive podcasts on iTunes, TuneIn, Stitcher, really anywhere you can download podcasts. While you're there, leave a comment, post a rating. You know I appreciate it. And I'll see you next week. This has been a digital media production. Find your voice. At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. We are the voice of NASCAR. The green flag is in the air and we are underway. The great American race. The Motor Racing Network. NASCAR Cup, Xfinity, and Craftsman Truck Series Racing. Live on your hometown radio station and MRN or NASCAR.com. Martinsville, Talladega, the Chicago Street Course. We have the side-by-side action and last lap passes for the win. Photo finishes. Ryan Blaney will win. The voice of NASCAR, the Motor Racing Network. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. 
Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote.